A little bouncer slowly toward Bryant. He will glove it and throw to Rizzo. It's in time. And the Chicago Cubs win the World Series. I remember running home from school, turning on the TV to the Cubs game, sitting with my dad to watch his heroes. Welcome to the World Series Dreaming Chicago Cubs Dreamcast. Not affiliated with the actual Chicago Cubs, but just a bunch of guys who love the local nine and enjoy talking baseball and, of course, the 2016 World Series champion Cubs. I am Rice Cube. I am one of the members of World Series Dreaming. With me is Andy, also known as Behind the Ivy. How are you doing, sir? Good. How are you? All right. Uh, so how many houses did you get to look at today? Too many. Too many. Do you have uh, any, like, favorites so far? or? Uh, we've made some offers. We've got one offer in that's going to be presented tomorrow night, so we should hear an up or down on on that before too late in the tomorrow night and if it goes as i expect i'll be continuing looking into the weekend all right do you have a time frame for which you are going to actually purchase your i i assume this is your starter home because uh like us you used to be a renter or you are a renter and now we own our place and not entirely sure I like being an owner. Too many responsibilities. Yeah, that, that's a little bit of a, a scary thought to know that when the water heater goes out, I can't just call the landlord. But at this point in my life, I've I finally got some stability in my career so I can I can afford to buy a home and not have to answer to somebody. Our, yeah. Our, our lease runs out at the end of June, so we're yeah. on... I mean, we're we're moving along in the process, but should the need arise, we can get out of it early or even potentially extend it since we know our landlord personally. That's cool. So, yeah, I guess you're on the artificial, you got assigned right before spring training kind of deadline, but not really. Uh, yeah, deadlines for action, as <laughs> the great Andrew Brandt always says on Twitter, but we would... We would like to beat this deadline and and get it done. Yeah. All right. Well, speaking of beating deadlines, uh, I got some to deal with at school, but thankfully spring break is coming up, and that means uh, it, it's actually a really good time because we are a week away from opening day. Can you believe that? No, I I really can't, and I I say that just because for me the season it really ended at the end of July last year when when I deployed, so I missed a lot of the regular the end of the regular season and what amounted to the playoff chase, and then even watching the playoffs was kind of sporadic for me. Yeah. So, so some real renewed enthusiasm for me going into to baseball this season just because I missed what was really the best part of the Cubs season last year. Yeah, so I think that's actually what we're going to talk about quite a bit today is uh, we we had previously talked about the rest of the NL Central, and 
I, I guess for most of us, we we pretty much agree with the pundits, and even the most diehard of pundits realize how good the Cubs are going to be this year. So, uh, barring any catastrophes and or asteroids, I think we'll be okay. Uh, so, how's that for a plan, sir? I love this plan. I'm excited to be a part of it. Let's do it. Works for me. As the spring gave away to summer, past the ivy-colored dreams, toward the days that kept us yearning for tomorrows. All right. So I'll let you lead because uh, this is your baby. You, you, you're the preview king. Uh, you've been doing that for us for the past few seasons, and I figure that you have a good idea of uh, why it is that you want the Cubs or you predicted the Cubs to be the NL Central champions yet again? Yeah, uh, really, it comes down to the completeness of the roster. When you look at the Cubs, and I project them for 96 wins, and that's that's really only because if you go too far above that 96-97 game threshold, you're really starting to tempt fate because there's so much attrition and and uncertainty to a long baseball season that I will never, ever predict a team to win or lose a hundred games. Mm-hmm. But when I, when I started predicting teams to win 96, 97 games, I got the Cubs going 96 and 66 this year. And it's because their roster is so complete uh, that their rotation with Quintana, Darvish, Lester, Hendricks, Chatwood, really like any one of those five guys would be the number one or two starter in Milwaukee at this point. Yeah. And uh, I I do find it interesting that you listed Quintana first because uh, a lot of what he's done in the past and what a lot of bloggers seem to think is that he is the underrated ace in all in this entire rotation. He's probably – the guy who we should be most excited about, even more so than you, Darvish. In in a lot of ways, Jose Quintana has been one of the most underrated pitchers in Major League Baseball for the past few seasons. He's consistently one of those top 15 to 20-ish pitchers, and those guys don't grow on trees. That's a really good pitcher, and he's been really good. And we get we get caught up in the overall numbers. Jose Quintana as a Cub last year after he was acquired at the All-Star break was a really good pitcher. He had a really nice second half for the Cubs overall. Yeah. It wasn't even necessarily that I I view Jose Quintana as the ace of the staff, but he's every bit as effective as a John Lester at this stage of his career or a Kyle Hendricks. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think I'm a little more – upside oriented on you Darvish and some other people might be for an early thirties pitcher, but we're starting to get well past his Tommy John surgery. So we can start seeing a little more of what he was before it, when he first broke into the major leagues, mm-hmm. his, from what I've seen from you Darvish this spring, there's nothing wrong with his stuff. There's nothing wrong with his ability to, to throw in that mid nineties and to, 
to do things with the baseball. I think Gordon Wittenmeyer tweeted that it's like he's throwing up a frisbee again. Yeah. And in some in some ways it's true. Some of those pitches are are crazy the way they move. And you Darvish has been one of my favorite pitchers to watch non cub for a few years. Yeah. So it's very cool to get to see thirty two hopefully starts from him this year. Yeah. And Mm-hmm. Yeah, I imagine the uh, guys in the front office have figured out, you know, uh, how he's been tipping his pitches, if that's even a thing, and also, like, how they can mask it. And based on what he's done this spring, and, you know, you take spring training stats with a grain of salt, but he's getting his work in. He's not getting hammered too much. He has all those pitches that you can already see in, like, the pitching ninja and and uh, other gifts, and you you can see that the ball does things that seem physically impossible, and it's screwing with uh, other people's timing, and he's even worked in, like, a Johnny Cueto shimmy, (laughs) and uh, that's kind of funny, but, uh, yeah, it seems like everything is working out for him. He spends a lot of time working with Clayton Kershaw this offseason, and that pause in his delivery seems to be something he, he took from Clayton Kershaw. Mm-hmm. And I tweeted it not long ago when when that kind of came out that, you know, all things considered, it's not bad to steal stuff from Clayton freaking Kershaw. Yeah. But he's really one of the, like, that Quintana, Darvish, Lester, Hendricks, whatever order you're going to put them in. Like, who, who's looking at a potential seven-game series with the Cubs, and they're like, crap we got to face John Lester in game four, or mm-hmm. we got, we get Quintana in game four, or we get Kyle Hendricks who won an ERA title in game four. Like they may not, none of those four guys may match up with one of the bona fide aces in baseball. They're not, they're not necessarily on the level of the Kershaw or the Scherzer, but very, very few are. But mm-hmm. in the playoffs, like the Dodgers will get Kershaw two or three times in a series. The Cubs will get these four guys in every game of the series. And as we've seen in, in some of these series, you can get to that guy. The Cubs got to Kershaw in game six a couple of years ago to clinch the NLCS. Right. You no, know, they got they got to Kluber in game seven of the World Series. You know, you can get to that guy and if your guy is one of these effective, you know, good quality pitchers, they're, you you have as good a shot to win a series as as anybody with the one ace with a couple of pretty good starters, as opposed to the Cubs, who probably have four of the top 30-ish starters in the National League. That's a really good place to be. And Tyler Chatwood, for my mm-hmm. money, could be a real, real steal by the end of the season. Right. It's been a few months. We all know about his numbers away from cores last year. We all know about spin rates and, you know, all of that stuff has come out in the wash. Giving him a full season away from Coors Field, giving him a full season with Jim Hickey and what the Cubs do, giving him a full season in, in front of the Cubs defense because, I mean, really – Pitching in cores and pitching in front of the Rockies' defense, which wasn't that great, 
you know, it didn't help him. So getting him in front of a better defense, getting him in front of out of cords and, and looking at something that's not an enormous ballpark, even the, the other parks in the NL West, Arizona, San Francisco, LA, San Diego, none of those are, are great pitchers parks because mm-hmm. they're also big and soft contact falls in a little more frequently. So I could, I could definitely see Tyler Chatwood posting a sub three, four ERA this season. Mm-hmm. And maybe his, his fielder independent pitching wouldn't match up with it quite as, as well, but he could be a big surprise and that would give the Cubs this glorious problem of five starters yeah. who, who at any point could could start a playoff game and, and pitch very well in it. Yeah. So I, I you got to remind me, but uh, I, I believe Tyler Chatwood has uh, ground ball tendencies, right? So you definitely want that in front of elite defense. And uh, it, it's interesting that you say that the Cubs have a better defense because they have an all-world uh, third baseman, Nolan Arenado, and it's not like DJ LeMahieu is chopped liver. But do, do we really want to light that fire uh, just in case, like, a random Rockies fan decides to listen to this? Oh, they can they can burn down the, the <laughs> they can burn down my Twitter feed with with this. Nolan Arenado is a great defender. Mm-hmm. DJ Lemayhew is a very good defender. Trevor Story is hot garbage. Yeah. And whatever corpse they have playing first base, he ain't that great either. Mm. So, but yeah, you are absolutely right about Tyler Chatwood's ground ball tendencies. Last year, 58%, 2016, 57%, 2014 was 45%. Mm. Otherwise, 2013, 58.5, and 2012, 56.3. Yeah. So I imagine. 2014 was a terribly small sample also, only 24 innings. 2012 was 64. If he's, I mean, yeah, if when he's pitched and he's pitched full seasons, I mean, that ball gets beat into the dirt. And if you're going to beat that dirt or that ball into the dirt in front of Javier Baez and Addison Russell up the middle, both of those are gold glove quality defenders. Anthony Rizzo at first base, gold glover. Chris Bryant, no slouch. Um, Yeah. Like the Cubs have as good an infield defense as there is in, is in baseball, and for a, for a guy like Chatwood who gives up a lot of ground balls, you know that that could bring his 4.69 ERA down easily a run. Yeah, uh, even nicer ERA as it were. So uh, sticking with the pitching, I, we've talked about the the uh, starting rotation, and I mean every other blog out there has talked about it death because it is that good on paper, and they have been historically good. Like not in terms of you know they're the greatest rotation ever, but in terms of each guy that you talk about in 
in the rotation has shown flashes of brilliance and also sustained brilliance uh, in their careers. So they're not going to throw every inning. They're not always going to go six or seven deep. So, of course, there's the bullpen, and uh, we can probably talk about that too. Yeah. Uh, the one the one guy I really want to talk about is Brandon Morrow. Oh, yeah. Uh, the guy I, – I was excited when he signed. I was really excited when he signed because, A, he strikes people out. He – he gets people out without allowing the ball to be put in play. And if you're going to make that your ninth inning guy, that's a really good quality to have. And B, he hasn't broken two walks per nine innings since 2014. Now, granted, that's not a lot of innings. That's 95 and two-thirds innings at the major league level since the start of 2015 between the Padres and then last season with the Dodgers. But he averaged 10.3 strikeouts per nine and 1.85 walks per nine. And as we all remember last season, the Cubs walked the guys a lot. And they've still got a lot of that walk in their bullpen with the Carl Edwards. Mm-hmm. Um, Justin Wilson had trouble with the strike zone last year. Uh, Pedro Strope's walk rate is a little bit high. Uh, he was at 3.88 walks per nine last year. He was at 3.84 in 2015, 3.69 in 2016, or 2014. Uh, 2016 is kind of an outlier year for him where he was at 2.85. Mm-hmm. It was really, it was probably his best year as a Cub. Uh, but there's a ton of of walk in in the Cubs bullpen right now, but they did such a great job. And we covered it a little bit in the, the other podcast covering the other teams when we briefly talked about the Cubs where they went out and they got Brandon Morrow, you know, not, not a lot of walks. Steve Ciszek, another guy who, who throws strikes. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ciszek isn't necessarily the strikeout guy that, that some of these other guys are. Uh, right. He was 8.26 strikeouts per nine last year, mm-hmm. but you know only 2.8 walks per nine. And in a year where the ball flew out of the ballpark at a rate never before seen, you know he only gave up 10% of home runs per fly ball for a guy that, on average, had a 56% ground ball rate. So not a lot of fly balls. The The home run to fly ball ratio was double figures, which isn't great uh, for his career at 7.3. But ball stays on the ground a lot with C-Shack. And as we covered, that infield defense is excellent. Yeah. So uh, C-Shack isn't a pure submariner, but he is a side armor, right? So he, um, I, I, I feel like he is. He is that funk that Joe Madden likes so much. Yeah. So that that creates like a different eye angle or uh, an eye point, whatever. Uh, they they look at him and they see something different, and that's kind of what you want. 
And I think uh, there is a healthy balance between the guys who can pump the zone and the guys who can just blow it right by you and, like, say, a Carl Edwards or a Pedro Strope. So, you know, that, that gives him, uh, Joe Madden a lot of options, right? Uh, Absolutely. And I'm I'm trying to think about this. Like, most of these guys, like, uh, I'm looking at, like, C-Shex, Strope, uh, Morrow and and Justin Wilson, they usually don't throw more than one inning, so you have like bridges to them, and I, I don't think they're going to make Mike Montgomery a pure six starter. I talked about that a little bit. I feel like a six man rotation might be fun, but uh, you know, between the top four and Chatwood, and then you get to Montgomery, it's quite a drop. So maybe you don't want to give the six guy that that many innings, but he's still a good long man. He could probably give you like three or four innings if you need to piggyback someone off him. Yeah. Uh, Mike Montgomery is going to be an extremely valuable resource for the baseball team this year. Guy, you know, the guy can start and he will start. He'll probably make 10 or 15 starts this season. I could easily see that. You know, mm-hmm. last year he was 14, but there were a lot of injuries. This year, I could see it being in that 10 to 15 range just to keep some of their veteran starters a little more you know, rested as the season goes on, especially when they have those you know, 17, 18, 19 games in a row without a day off stretches. Yeah, Having a Mike Montgomery that can step in, take a start, give those guys that artificial off day that they may not have normally gotten, that's, that's incredibly valuable. Yeah, I feel like there there aren't that many long stretches, and that's a byproduct of the new CBA. Like they they basically negotiated all their financial rights away for the right to like have a few more off days. I guess we could talk about that in a later podcast because there's you know a bunch of things that baseball players like you know they make a lot of money, but uh, they they also probably should make more to be honest, given how much their, their owners rake in. But that's another story for another day. But the uh, point is, I think there's only like two or three stretches where they play 10 or more games in a row. And the rest of them, they're like nine games or, you know, six game sets. There's a lot of off days built into the schedule. And in that case, like if you did put in Mike Montgomery, that gives you a chance to reshuffle the line, uh, the rotation if you wanted to. But in a sense, they don't really need him. So uh, what do you think of the philosophy that in order to keep Mike Montgomery himself healthy, maybe they should just leave him in a long relief role rather than yo-yoing him back and forth between the rotation and the bullpen? Well, there are going to be instances where the starter goes short, uh, whether it be injury, ejection, you know, ineffectiveness, those types of things that we always see. So he'll get he'll get opportunities to throw four or five innings and kind of work as a starter or how a starter might without actually being the starter. But you know, the Cubs don't have a young pitching staff. They do have quite a few more off days than what we've seen in the past, which is, as you said, a product of the new CBA. But you know, with the veteran nature of their pitching staff to where it, it'll do a John Lester or a Hugh Darvish 
or even a Jose Quintana, quite a bit of good, just to get that extra day in there. They do have some stretches where it's, like it looks like from the middle of June to pretty close to the all-star break. You know, days off are fewer and far between. Right. And so in those stretches, you know, having a guy like Micah Montgomery that you can drop in there and know that you're probably going to get five effective innings out of him. That's a luxury. Not a lot of teams have that. And if you don't want to use a Mike Montgomery in that role, if Eddie Butler makes the roster, which I think there's a pretty good chance he will to avoid letting him go for nothing. You know, Eddie Butler is another situation where you could have him go in there and pitch, you know, yeah. five, you know, give you five effective innings to where is he going to win you the ball game that day? Probably not. Is he going to lose you the ball game that day? You know, also probably not. I wouldn't expect it to be a Brian Maddox situation where he pitches three innings, gives up a multi-run home run in each inning, and now you've got to make a comeback in the late innings. Like, I don't expect any of the the sixth, seventh starters that the Cubs would have to put him in that situation, and that's a luxury that not many teams have. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And uh, do you believe that they are going to straight up use uh, Brenda Morrow as the closer? Like he, you know, I, I have an affinity to Brenda Morrow. He was a California Golden Bear as a collegiate, and you know, he used to be a really good starter until you know injuries and ineffectiveness screwed that up for him. But uh, I, I think they're they're making him the go-to closer. And then there's like a, a tiny little possibility that they'll go closer by committee. They, I think they've said, and Joe Madden has said that, you know, to limit Brandon Morrow's innings a little bit and to keep him healthy and effective throughout the year, you know, giving him that true closer role where he comes and he starts a clean ninth inning when he gets the last three outs it could somewhat artificially limit his innings to keep him healthier and it could maximize his effectiveness. So it, it certainly looks like they're going to go that way based on the things they've said. I don't think that's a bad way to go about it. Mm -hmm. I think uh, we've seen enough of the Cubs bullpens where roles haven't necessarily been as well defined, you know, with the last couple of years, especially where, you know, last year, Wade Davis was the closer, but, you know, there was a shuffle between Hector Rondo and Pedro Strobe. You know, they mm -hmm. added Justin Wilson. There was a lot of, there was a lot of turnover and, and some chaoticness to, to roles in front of Wade Davis last year. And in 2016, we saw it in the second half when injuries kind of forced the bullpen into a little bit of an attrition situation where Aroldis Chapman was going to pitch, you know, maybe four outs, maybe, you know, I think he pitched both ends of a double header one day. Oh, wow. Yeah. So some of that. So I, I think we'll see a little more definition and roles. And I think this is a, finally a bullpen where you can do that, but there's enough depth to it to where 
you know, the same guy isn't going to pitch the eighth inning every day. They can alternate between Edwards and Strope and C-Shack. You know, be ready today in the eighth inning and or between Edwards and C-Shack and Montgomery or Wilson or, you know, they can, they've got enough mix of lefty, righty in the bullpen too that they can kind of make it matchup dependent. Right. And uh, so I was looking at the little spreadsheet that I set up. Like uh, I, I know you alluded to the 17 game stretch right before the all-star break, right before the 4th of July. That's the longest stretch of the season without uh, an off day for them. Uh, The other one is like 13. And then there's another one that's 11 and they close the season with a 10 game, uh, 10 game. I I forgot if it's a homestand or a road trip, but it's 10 games at the end of the season. And that's pretty much all the double digit games. Everything else is like nine games or below. And they have a bunch of those like weird two game series with the NL Central teams. Uh, I'm, I'm not entirely sure why they did that. It was probably just to accommodate their their new uh, off days. But it, it's very interesting, and it also gives the option again of reshuffling the rotation. And especially if you're right, and you know the Brewers and Cardinals are 83, 84 wins max and the Cubs win the division by 12 games. Now they have like two weeks to reset the rotation so that they can line up whoever they want in games one through four of uh, of the division series. Yeah. Um, you, you look at September, they've got two off days, the 13th and the 20th of September. Otherwise, you know, they're on the road a lot and they're – they're playing a lot with after September call-ups. I think that's a situation where we could even see um, some major league debuts or at least some some first career starts for for some of the younger guys. Potentially a Dwayne Underwood if he's able to command the baseball or Albert or Adbert Elzale uh, could make his first career start this year. I mm-hmm. wouldn't be I would be a little more surprised about that without ruling it out. I think there's a pretty decent chance we may see them uh, you know development depending contribute in the bullpen later in the season. Mm-hmm. But once rosters expand, I think because of the the wealth of pitching in the system now, we could start to see some of those guys coming up and making starts late in the season should there be a situation where they're not battling out for a division. And really September will be kind of a make or break because they've got, you know, they open September uh, first week of September, they go to Milwaukee for three and then to Washington for four and then home against Milwaukee for three. So for 10 days, they've got the Brewers and the Nationals. Yeah. And seven of those 10 games are on the road. So if, you know, if there's a situation where they get through that stretch and they're up, you know, six, seven, eight games, you know, I think we start to see some of the the young guys get shot, especially because after that they get the Reds. Yeah. Uh, they actually have the White Sox very late in the season this year. They, they go to the south side on the 21st through the 23rd of September, which is kind of crazy to me. Yeah, it's a all-year interleague, and I guess until the 
Rays and A's figure out their stadium thing. Like we can't have expansion and then we can't realign. Uh, so that's why you, you, you have that because they got to fit in those interleague matchups somehow. Well, that and this season is the, you know, the, the Cubs are playing against the AL Central, the NL Central, the AL Central matchup in, in interleague. So they'll get the two, three game series with the White Sox instead of the, the home and home four game series. Right. Yeah, that that's kind of kind of goofy, but I, I guess uh, it's kind of cool too because you know the guy who's pitching tonight, Jose Quintana, he he got traded. Uh, the White Sox received Dylan Cease and Ewan Jimenez back, and among two two others that I totally forget, but those were the big two, and you know you heard really good things about them, so maybe we'd see them again in a rivalry matchup of sorts, and that's kind of a cool thing to look forward to not so cool and the fact that you know now it's not going to be as easy to beat the White Sox but cool and that you know this is the kind of talent that the Cubs accumulated to be able to trade for Jose Quintana yeah the White Sox are by the time we get to the 21st of September we could be seeing a whole different kind of White Sox team than what what we see early in the season where we'll, we'll definitely be be seeing a lot of Yohan Moncada all season, but at the end of the season, I think we'll be seeing a better Yohan Moncada. There's a good chance we see an Eloy Jimenez and um, Lucas Giolito, uh, Michael Kepish, mm-hmm. you know, just this, this depth of talent. And, you know, I think I read yesterday that Wellington Castillo had said that, that this White Sox team is further along than the 2014 Cubs, and he's probably right. Yeah. Because when you look at the 2011 Cubs, they didn't have this huge surplus of tradable assets to get those big-time impact prospects in mass like the White Sox did when they started their rebuild. The Cubs didn't have a Chris Sale to be able to get a Michael Catfish and a Yohan Moncada, who was the number one prospect in baseball when they got him. They just didn't have that. They didn't have a Jose Quintana to be able to get a top 50 to 75 pitcher in Dylan Cease to pair with a top 5 to 10 hitter in Eloy Jimenez. They didn't have those guys. Mm-hmm. They didn't have an Adam Eaton that could bring back a guy like Lucas Giolito. You know, those those weren't things that they had. The Cubs had to had to be a little more creative. They had to draft well, which they did. They had to make some really shrewd trades, you know, Samarja and Hamill to bring back Addison Russell. Right. So, you know, as as much as, you know, Cubs fans may perceive Wellington Castillo as taking a shot at the Cubs, he's not wrong. Um this White Sox team was able to trade away some supremely valuable assets on some really, really nice contracts to be able to command top prospect dollar and to really jam pack their system and their organization with really prime time talent. And the White Sox are at a point where if half of that talent pans out, that's going to be a really good baseball team. Mm-hmm. Rather than later. Yeah. And I, I feel like they're doing this because they know that uh, 
they are about to turn the corner. If they turn the corner, that means they're going to get lower draft picks. And uh, with lower draft picks comes less uh, pool money. And that's an unfortunate byproduct of the last two CBAs is that now you can't overslot anymore, which means it's going to be harder for you to pool talent. And that's also part of the reason why, like I'm postulating here, but the Cubs have manipulated their payroll in such a way that they're able to stay under the luxury tax. They won't have to blast through it until they decide, hey, am I going to throw money at uh, Manny Machado or Bryce Harper next year? And in doing so, uh, allowing their QO free agents to leave and pocketing those draft picks, I think they have something like four or six of the top 100 picks now. And that's really good. That's like a lot of money that they could spend on the on the draft. And it's not like back in the day when you could just blow whatever money you want on the draft. Uh, they can't do that anymore, so they have a finite amount of money. And to maximize that amount of money, to try to restock the the farm system that unfortunately, you know, like they say, like most of the farm is already on the major league roster and they're, they already have championship rings. So you can't worry too much about that. But what happens when you can't afford Chris Bryant anymore and he goes to free agency, what happens, you know, when Anthony Rizzo gets old because he's probably going to be a couple for life and, you know, they don't want him to leave because he's like the face of the franchise. Somebody has to take over and therefore you have to restock the farm somehow. And so this is like, one of the good years, like their IFA penalties have reset. The draft is going to, you know, have a boatload of money, like relatively speaking anyway. And I, I feel like this is the year that we got to look and see the Cubs try to restock their system. Yeah. I think, I think you danced around with it. I think they have five of the top hundred picks mm-hmm. and they are, they are out of the international free agency doghouse. And when you combine the fact that they're out of the penalty box or the doghouse or whatever you want to call it in international free agency, now there's no blowing the cap and just paying a tax and a penalty on it anymore. Like, that's the cap. Mm-hmm. So the signing bonuses aren't going to get crazy. Right. It, it's, going to, it's going to force some of these high-end players to choose – their situation. Now, some of these smaller market teams could spend more than than the bigger market teams, and if you're a good team, you can't spend as much as a bad team, and, you know, ultimately the Cubs are a good team in a big market, so their international free agency pool is going to be smaller. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, everybody's is. You can't just blow the ceiling anymore. The ceiling's hard. Yeah. So you're going to look at some of these guys now, some of these kids, these international free agents, their their handlers aren't going to be looking for the biggest payday anymore necessarily because the biggest paydays aren't going to be that different. Yeah. So you, you start to look at organizations where who is going to develop this kid, this 16-year-old kid, and turn him into a major league player or who has the best chance of turning him into a major league player. So you start to look at the organizations that have had success in player development and there aren't very many better examples right now than the Chicago Cubs. Right. Every single first round pick from 2011 to 2015 is on the roster right now. Yeah. That's, that's not normal and they all contribute. 
one of them won a rookie of the year and an MVP. So, mm-hmm. like, there's there's some real, you know, ability to, to point and say, we can make you a major league player. We can't spend as much on you. It'll cost you $100,000 right now to sign with us, but it'll it'll make you, you know, millions down the line when we are able to develop you into a major league baseball player and get you up here. So I think that's, that's how we're going to see the CBA evolve the way international free agency works. Some yeah. of these, these signing bonuses will come down. And as they come down, you might see some of these prospects taking a little bit less on the front end for the opportunity to get that bigger payout on the back end. Yeah. Could it be your hero's moment? Could they somehow find a way? Will they rid us of these ghosts of shame? So we can probably shift to the offense now. Uh, I, I know that, of course, we talked about the, the uh, first-round picks over the past few years. They're all in the Major League Club. They're all probably sticking around. Uh, you could potentially see not them, but, you know, some other guys being traded for extra international pool money so that they, the Cubs can try to pick up one or two more extra prospects. But there is a cap on the amount of money you could trade for as well. And, you know, like, I, I don't believe that any trades are going to happen. They're happy with the rosters. There's probably going to be a couple of waiver claims or whatever. But uh, for the most part, I think the position player group is set. It's just like who's going to make the uh, last uh, bullpen spot, who's going to be the pack of catcher. Are they going to carry an extra reliever or an extra outfielder? Uh, we don't really know that yet and probably won't until like the day before they play in Miami. Yeah, offensively, I, I think we're going to see. Well, I think we're going to see the same twelve-ish guys for the most part all season long, and we're going to see them, we're going to see them a lot. There's not a whole lot of reason to deviate from Anthony Rizzo and Chris Bryant in the corner infield. Mm-hmm. Um, there's not a lot of reason to deviate from Javier Baez and Addison Russell in the middle infield. We may see you know, those guys get days off, like Anthony Rizzo, Chris Bryant, if they play 155 games, that's Mm -hmm. a solid output. You know, we'll probably see quite a bit of Kyle Schwarber in left field. We'll probably see mostly Jason Hayward in right field. Beyond that, uh, they've they've got some nice interchangeable parts. Ben Zobras can play all over the place, and he probably will. Ian Happ, I believe, has started taking ground balls at third. So he can play third, he can play second, he can play all over the outfield. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tommy Lastella off the bench, Albert Almora. Beyond that, you know, we'll we'll see between Victor Caratini and Chris Jimenez, a backup catcher. There's not a whole other, aside from like injury or, you know, Really, that's probably it. Injury, there's not going to be a lot of reason to see very many other guys kind of floating in there mm-hmm. the Cubs offense and their their position player group is so good. And it 
and so many of those guys have a lot of versatility that there's not a ton of reason to deviate from that core group of guys. Yeah. Now, I know that uh, the offense can generate a lot of runs. This is essentially the same group that generated 800-plus runs two seasons in a row, even if, like, last year was super frustrating for a lot of us. But uh, there are holes in the, the offense, and, like, there's a lot of swing and miss, which is probably true for a lot of players, not just the Cubs. And that's just the way uh, baseball has evolved in, in these recent years because they're, they've gone away from, like, slap hitting to pretty much a three true outcomes thing, uh, especially with the ball being, like, turned into a Super Bowl, right? So, yeah, how, how do they mitigate that? Like, are there enough contact hitters in there to keep the line moving? I think so. I think... I think the the amount of cuts strike out is actually super overstated. Mm-hmm. Like, is when you when you think about it, like the power hitters in the Cubs lineup. You start with Chris Bryant. Yeah, that rookie year, thirty percent strikeout rate. MVP year of twenty sixteen, twenty two percent strikeout rate. Last year, nineteen point two, and he walked fourteen point three percent of the time. So he was inching up pretty close to a one-to-one ratio. And I think he said that this year he's shooting for walking as much as he strikes out, mm-hmm. which would honestly in this day and age be completely incredible. Now, it, Anthony, yeah. Rizzo, another, Anthony Rizzo is another one of the power guys. His walk rate last year, 13.2%. Strikeout rate, 13. Yeah. So those guys walked, like the very rare walked more than he struck out. Uh, Wilson Contreras, kind of the same deal, 23% strikeouts. In this day and age, that's not terrible. It's not great, but it's not terrible. Yeah. So, so I think I think a lot of the youth, like some of these guys have repu- had earned reputations. They haven't been able to shake. Um, you know, Javi Baez, he's going to be, a, you know, that 25 to 29% strikeout guy. But, you know, he was – 28% last year for Javier Baez, you know, that's kind of okay because when you contribute 23 home runs, 10 stolen bases, yeah. you, can live, you can live with a little bit of swing and miss. Right. You'd like to see him walk a little more, but he walked at an almost 6% rate last year, which is pretty close to a career high. I mean, so I think I think the strikeout is overstated in the Cubs lineup. Kyle Schwarber struck out a lot last year, but I, I think that now we'll see him. He he only appeared in 129 games last year, mm-hmm. so people forget. Like last year was his first quote unquote full major league season. He hasn't had a major league season where he's had 500 plate appearances yet. He just hasn't gotten there. The guy is still really developing. So. I think we'll see a better version of Kyle Schwarber this season, one that doesn't strike out quite so much. And beyond that, like, yeah, every team strikes out. The Cubs probably, I wouldn't say more than most. I think they're kind of middle of the pack in where they strike out. Right. But they score a ton of runs. Yeah. And, and they walk. 
they take their walks. So in some ways they're not as much fun as some of these low, low walk, low strikeout lineups where the ball is always in play, but they're effective. You know, they they are super effective. Even last year where, where the, a prevailing narrative was, oh, this lineup isn't very good. What's wrong with this lineup? They scored 800 runs, and I think they were second in the National League behind the Rockies. And there's just nothing wrong with them. They score plenty of runs. Yeah. And they, will, and they will score plenty of runs again. And all of that is without without assuming that Addison Russell contributes at a at a higher level than he has or that yeah. Jason Hayward contributes at all. And if either of those guys or both of those guys start contributing at their talent level, you know, because Addison Russell's talent level is to be a really good offensive player. And Jason Hayward has shown in the major leagues to be a very good offensive player. So if either of those guys or both of those guys turn it around and produce even league average offense for their positions, mm-hmm the Cubs lineup will be at a level of lethal that probably is only matched by really good American League lineups. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about Jason Hayward. Obviously, he's still got the elite glove. Like, what exactly does he have to do to, you know, basically not be a burden to this offense and not draw the ire of every Cubs fan who doesn't realize how hard baseball is to play? You know, 2015, Jason Hayward was a 6-F war player. Mm-hmm. He hit he hit 293, 359, 439. That's really good. It was a 121 WRC+. You know, with the Cubs, we know it hasn't been great. Last year, he was 88, which is a pretty nice improvement over the 71 WRC plus he had in 2016. His ISO came up a little bit. He only struck he only struck out 14% of the time last year, so he put the ball in play. You know, he, his problem has just been hitting the ball on the ground. I haven't yeah. seen much. I haven't seen as much spring training as I would like, but what I have seen in spring training out of Jason Hayward is a lot more balls in the air and on a line to center and to left field. Mm-hmm. And that's who Jason Hayward's been, you know, for a big part of his career, balls to to center and to left field. Yeah, if he could get back to that and hit some line drives, like he's fast enough to be able to just stretch it the extra base. And, you know, if he can get on base at a clip that I think he, he should be able to, he should be able to get on base at least 33% of the time. Like that's if he's better than he was the past two years. Like right now, I, I think uh, over the past two years, his, his uh, on base was hovering around like 300, and that was kind of crappy. But uh, he, he improved a bit last year, and I think he ended the year on a on a kind of hot streak, which was nice to see. And you know, this spring hasn't been too good for either him or Albert Amora, but it's still spring. And I've heard 
you know, when when he makes contact on the games that I've seen, like it makes kind of a loud noise. And, you know, unfortunately the only times I've seen him, he's, he's like grounded out to second, which is what he's been wanting to do the past couple of years. And he's also popped it up a bit, which uh, I guess he's not squaring up the ball as much, but then that's confirmation bias on my part, because I, I, you know, they don't have enough games on TV and also it's spring training, but uh, it, it sounded like he's having a lot of good batting practices, which, you know, they keep talking about and you're like, well, it's just batting practice, but these are people who are like a thousand times smarter than I am about baseball. And I, I feel like if they've seen positive results, if he's, if Chili Davis is doing his like hitter whisperer thing, then maybe, uh, maybe something good might come out of it. And he just needs more reps. To show you know, it. it's, it's interesting about Jason Hayward. His career ground ball rate is 49%. Mm-hmm. In 2016, his ground ball rate was 46.2, and last year was 47.4. So we talk about Jason Hayward always grounds out to second base. He's hit the ball on the ground less than his two years as a Cub than his career average. Now, granted, his career average is boosted by three years where he was up way over 50%, including the year before he signed with Cubs, where he had a 57% ground ball rate. His line drives, 20.5%, 19.9%, kind mm-hmm. of in line with his career norms. The, the things that we've seen kind of decline for Jason Hayward since he's been a Cub is going to the opposite field, Mm-hmm. So he's gotten a little more pull centric and his soft contact rate has gone up and it hasn't gone up from a loss in the medium contact. It's gone up from a loss of hard contact. So a lot of his hard contact has been replaced by soft contact. Mm-hmm. So, so flare type fly balls, weakly hit fly balls, weak ground balls, things that are going to turn into outs. It remains to be seen, but I don't think Jason Hayward forgot how to hit or suddenly, like, he just lost his ability to hit. It's not like a Space Jam situation where some aliens came and put a bat in front of him and he touched it and it took all his talent. I don't think that happened. Yeah. So whatever Chili Davis's approach with him is, if it helps, and it doesn't have to make him great. Like, that's that's one of the big misconceptions. How does how does Jason Hayward live up to his contract? Well, he doesn't have to have 121 WRC plus or 120 or 109 or the 134 he put up as a rookie in 2010. Mm-hmm. He's got to be a league average hitter. If he's a league average hitter and plays gold glove defense and has outstanding base running, he's worth every penny of his contract. As it is now, he's not a bust. Like, the idea that Jason Hayward's been a bust is absurd. He's provided a ton of value in mm-hmm. ways, especially defensively. He makes them so much more versatile and so much better defensively. And that's how the Cubs won a championship. They yeah. were the absolute best defensive team baseball has ever seen. They put more balls put into play or turned more balls put into play into outs than any team in baseball history. That's how the Cubs won a championship. That's, yeah, why, I, their pitch, that's yeah. why their pitching staff looked so outstanding in 2016. So every time ball was put in play, somebody was out. 
Yeah. And I feel like this uh, defense has a chance to return to that kind of thing. Like, uh, you know, it's it's literally the same guys for the past three years. So you, you imagine that they should be able to, to make this work. I, I don't ever want to put historically great on a team like, oh, yeah, they're going to set all kinds of records and do things that we've never seen before because that's absurd. It's, it's really hard to predict that they do things that have never happened before. Mm-hmm. But this team has a chance, if they play to their ability, to be the best defensive team in baseball. Combined with good pitchers who are going to get strikeouts, mm-hmm. combined, with, combined with a really good offense who's going to score some runs, Right. that's a recipe for a lot of wins. Okay. Yeah, let's, for the sake of arguments, uh, what... We'll pretend that Victor Caratini is going back to Iowa. We'll pretend that they're just taking the extra pitcher so they don't lose Eddie Butler. And uh, Pedro Strope is supposed to be scheduled to to pitch tonight. Uh, this is Thursday night against the Giants. So let's say he's healthy. So now we, we got ourselves the roster that we pretty much predicted since, like, Thanksgiving now. Actually, I can't even say that because you Darvish wasn't signed until February. But let's let's just say that you know we know the the roster pretty well. Uh, give me your starting lineup against both left-handers and right-handers. Then, um, do I think we'll see a leadoff hitter of Ian Happ or Albert Almora? And in this exercise, we'll just use them in center. That, that person in center field, either Happ or Almora, followed by Bryant, Rizzo, Wilson Contreras, um, Addison Russell, Kyle Schwarber. Mm-hmm. And I'm not even sure that I'm putting these in the best batting order. But, you know, Kyle Schwarber hitting sixth is or fifth is a luxury that not a lot of teams have. Yeah. Uh, Hayward probably hitting seventh. Mm-hmm. Then that means Javi is eighth, or I, I don't think uh, they're pit- pitching, hitting the pitcher eighth anymore. Javier Baez hits eighth, pitcher bats ninth, or uh, pitcher could bat eighth, and you could use Jason Hayward hitting ninth. Hmm. You know, reduce his at-bats, and if he starts to get it going – you know, now you've got a guy with Simon Bates' ability to get on in front of your your big boppers and give them a chance to drive in some runs. Mm-hmm. So, I, I like that lineup. Like, I, I feel like they could, are interchangeable, but you would definitely want two, three, four to be Brian Rizzo, Contreras at this point. Um. Yeah. I mean, they've got so much left-right balance. They've got They've got power up and down the lineup. You know, as I said, the only thing that that really that really matches the offense that they can they can muster is a good American League lineup. Mm-hmm. I think the Yankees will outscore the Cubs this year because of their lineup and the ballpark they play in. Yeah, but I'm definitely going to look at that when you know we get to October. Yeah, that that would be fun. Who scored? Who scored more runs? The Cubs or the Yankees? 
I feel like the Yankees would probably hit more home runs as a team because of <laughs> their their uh, outfield essentially. Well, that and I think Gary Sanchez hit like thirty in and he missed like a month of the season. Yeah, those guys are ridiculous, and I, I, I guess it's partially the ballpark is partially juice balls, but that that still takes a bit of talent to you know get the ball in the air and get it that far. So it's pretty crazy, man. Um, yeah. Are juice balls juice players? All right. Well, I, I feel like the the Cubs are gonna have, have a good time, and we we are going to enjoy that with them. The bottom of third against San Francisco, that's the Cubs are up two to nothing, and Jose Quintana is just spinning strikes and getting flyouts and groundouts. It's uh, it's really nice to see. Yeah, um, they, it's it seems like every day that the Cubs are sending a starting pitcher out there to just get his work in, mm-hmm. and by the time his work is done, he's pitched six. I think Lester went six and two thirds in spring training. That's craziness. Yeah, and he didn't even reach his pitch count, or he did reach his pitch count, but by then it was six and two-thirds. I don't think they're going much more than 90 pitches in these starts, right, because they're trying to save bullets. No, no they're, trying to, they're trying to build these guys up to be able to pitch, you know, 90 to 100 pitching pitches come opening day. But John Lester, I mean, John Lester goes six and two-thirds in spring training. That's insanity. Yeah, you know, it's something that you almost never see. But these guys have to get their work in, and to get their work in, they're going six. Like yesterday, you Darvish six innings, three hits, one run, no walks, eight strikeouts. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm not even sure his pitch count got stressed. So they're throwing 85, 90 easy pitches because you know nobody's ever on base and they're, they're not stressful pitches. Yeah. And Grant, you know, there's there's a lot of minor league in these lineups. So you look at the numbers and you talk about how absurd they are. I mean, there are a lot of guys who aren't necessarily major league players yet in some of these lineups. But, you know, you look at, at like yesterday with you Darvish, we're getting close to the end of spring training for these starting pitchers. So there's a little more major league presence in these lineups. And that's not to say these results matter, but mm-hmm. you do start to to raise your eyebrow a little bit at the box score when you see that that the starter in spring went six innings and gave up three hits in a run. Mm-hmm. And that's yeah, that that really helps out the bullpen a lot, and you know, like you don't never want the bullpen to be taxed because now they're messed up and that puts more pressure on the starting rotation and if the starting rotation is, you know, kind of slumping at the time, then you got a double whammy. So next off season is going to be like a really big one. Of course you have Harper and Machado coming up. Uh, let's, 
for the sake of uh, the scenario, pretend that Jason Hayward is never going to get good enough to ever want to opt out, especially in this current free agent climate. Uh, do the Cubs keep him uh, anyway, or do they try to trade that contract? Because I realize that uh, Hayward no longer has full no trade protection after 2018. He does have the ability to block deals to 12 clubs, though. And then uh, after 2020, he has 10-5 rights. So if they are going to trade his contract and try to salary dump him somewhere, it's going to be like the off season right before they try to land either Machado or Harper. Um, you know, that's an interesting thought. Mm-hmm. My thought on it is if he's good enough to be able to trade that contract, mm-hmm. you're probably not going to want to trade that contract. Yeah. On the other side of it, if he's not good enough to trade it, you're not going to get anything for it. Except the salary relief, if any. And it's it's going to be hard to get a team to take him. Mm-hmm. So I... it, it it's very difficult to envision a scenario where the Cubs are able to trade Jason Hayward. If yeah. Looking at it, if you're looking at it as a get out from under Jason Hayward's contract, the ideal thing would be Jason Hayward has a season like he had in 2015 with the Cardinals, where he had uh-huh. an OPS of almost 800, and he, you know, he hit 300, and his WAR was over six. That's where. That's where Jason Hayward may survey the landscape and see mm-hmm. that teams are going to be willing to or are in a position to blow the luxury tax threshold. Or a lot of teams have set themselves up for free agency next year, so there will be dollars available to him to mm-hmm. cash in again, and he opts out. Yeah, I don't think that's going to be the case. And uh, full transparency, I think I would prefer that they keep Jason Hayward anyway because of his defense and his leadership. And I, I, it's it's a sunk cost, right? Like they've already paid the money. They've already earmarked the money. So, you know, you'd like to get away from that contract, but, you know, you're already paying the guy. You might as well keep him, especially if you're gearing up to blow past the tax anyway. So it it doesn't it, it's just one of those things I threw out there because I know a lot of uh, fans are hating on Hayward and I don't see why they should like baseball's tough like sometimes players just fall off a cliff and there's nothing you can do like I still like the deal when when they signed him and uh, I still do honestly like I I think it was a smart deal and it just didn't pan out the way they wanted to but he still plays great defense. He's won, like, you know, the past couple gold gloves, and he made the speech that, like, helped catalyze a World Series championship win. So it's like he's already basically paid for his contract, in my opinion, and honestly, it's not my money. It's it's like, you know, some rich guy's money, but I, I don't mind him being on my team for the duration of his contract. I love Jason Hayward. Mm-hmm. I I love having him. I love him being on the team. I don't care what he makes. Um, I don't I don't care that he doesn't hit. The Cubs' offense is fine. Mm-hmm. 
honestly. They scored 800 runs the last two years, but Jason Hayward contributing the low average offense. Mm-hmm. He had his presence in the lineup hasn't hurt its overall effectiveness. Full stop. Right. The ceiling on the ceiling on the lineup is not appreciably changed because Jason Hayward is in it. That's reality. Right. The Cubs do not win a World Series without Jason Hayward in 2016. They don't. They just don't. Mm-hmm. They don't. Their defense isn't that good. Their defense is probably still pretty good. Mm-hmm. It ain't that good. It isn't that level. We see Jason Hayward do things in right field that other players can't do. And that is an invaluable thing to have, to have that one anchor be able to take that third of the outfield for all intents and purposes away from opposing hitters. That is such a value. And right field at Wrigley is incredibly difficult with the sun and, and he makes it look so easy every day. And when he does something, he does something incredible and we take it for granted. And then StatCats gives you how absurd it was. And you're like, good God. His contract is worth it because he sets the defense. He sets the defense completely. He allows it so that Chris Bryant can play third base without any issue. He allows Kyle Schwarber to stay in left field and to have a center fielder shade in that direction because there's no worry about a mm-hmm. center fielder having the range over the right field. Yeah, you basically have another That's, center fielder in in right field. Think back to 2015 when when they were kind of running in and out of different scenarios for for outfielders when Jorge Soler was in right field and mm-hmm. you know left field was a a hodgepodge of Chris Coglin and you know I think Chris Bryant went out there a few times and you know center field with Dexter Fowler Dexter Fowler wasn't having the greatest you know defensive season in the outfield and just look at how many runs the Cubs gave up in the outfield because of the low average or poor outfield defense mm-hmm. and how appreciably that changed in 2016 when Jason Hayward came over and he put right field on lockdown. Yeah. That Fowler had his best defensive season in part because he wasn't being asked to range quite as much. And because he started playing deeper and he's better at coming in on the ball. And then even with no constant left fielder, like people forget that about the 2016 Cubs, Kyle Schwarber gets hurt. So it's Chris Bryant and it's Wilson Contreras and it's, Chris Coglin and it's Ben Zobrist throughout the playoffs. There's just guy after guy after guy in that outfield. And they were able to continue to do that because mm-hmm. Jason Hayward just shut it down and right. So in my estimation, he's completely worth it for what he contributes defensively and what that does for the rest of the outfield mm-hmm. and for the infield defense. And the highest paid guy on the team is probably the hardest working guy on the team. Yeah. I'm, I'm very, yeah. 
that's invaluable for all these youngsters that are getting called up from AAA and, you know, hey, there's Jason Hayward. He makes $28 million. He ain't really hitting that well right now, but he's the first one here every day. Mm-hmm. Through the good times and the bad times, we stood beside you every day. Till now, our dreams have gone unclaimed. So let's uh, lock this down. How much are you willing to bet based on current Vegas odds that the Cubs do win the NL Central comfortably? Uh, what are the odds? I don't even think I've seen their odds, but they can't be they can't be better than one to one. <laughs> uh let's check Fangrass real quick. Uh they they usually have their odds fairly well updated. I think it was in the 90s last time I checked, which is kind of ridiculous, but uh, let's do that. Projections. Or do I want do I want standings? I think I want projected standings. So projected standings, Fangrass still has them at 93 at 69. That's the rest of the season. Uh, Run back there. Let's check again. Let's do playoff odds. So, if we're looking at NL Central playoff odds, they are expected to win the Central at a clip of 96.2%. Yeah, so... No, wait, though. That's expected wins. They're they're expected to go 96 and 66, like you said. Division odds are 78.5%. 17.6% wild card, 96.1% playoffs altogether. So, yeah, that's pretty darn good. And they have a 13.4% chance of winning the World Series as of right now. And that's even better than Dodgers, who are, like, supposed to be better. But uh, that's very interesting. Like, I, I would bet that the Dodgers or the Nationals might be better, but uh, the Cubs are the best team in the National League, according to Fangrass odds. Uh, Yeah, I think that's pretty close. I think the Cubs are a better team on paper right now than the Dodgers. And, you know, that'll obviously change with injuries. Uh, The Dodgers just lost Justin Turner for a little while, so we'll even see how that shakes out. I think he's got broken wrist, which – could be problematic all season long, and that would be devastating for them. Yeah, that's. They they said that it it might it's it's like a an injury that doesn't require surgery. So hopefully that is better for him because the Dodgers team with Justin Turner is more fun than one without because because he, he looks like Yukon Cornelius, but uh, and he's pretty good at baseball. But uh, yeah, like uh, I, I think. If I actually had disposable income, I would probably throw them some money on the Cubbies. I mean, honestly, if I had that kind of disposable income, I'd probably throw it on the Reds and see what happens. <laughs> yeah, uh, I'm guessing that they're going to be on full rebuild and uh, will most likely not add at the deadline, but that's just me. Well, hey, if something crazy happens, you know, that's, that's where the payout's at. The payout isn't betting on the Cubs right now. 
Yeah, like uh, I think their odds are even, or maybe even like slightly less than even, like where you have to bet like a ton of money to get five bucks back. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm glad that they're in this position where it wouldn't even be fun to bet on the Cubs anymore. Yeah. You know, I know for for years and years and years they were the the betting favorite. Like, oh, they're gonna win the world. Like, put money on the Cubs to win the World Series because if it actually happens, you you can retire. Yeah. You know, if you bet on the Cubs to win the World Series, they they send you they send you a check for like nine bucks, and it's like hmm, cool. Yeah. But that's a, that's a good place to be in for a baseball team where where your betting odds are are so low. Yeah, but we are still a week away from the season, and we don't want to counter chick- chickens before they hatch, or so they say. So uh, let's see what happens. Hopefully everybody stays healthy, and that's really what we're looking for right now, even if apparently Jose Quintana did just give up a, a go-ahead home run. Oh, well, juice balls, spring training, Arizona. That That's all I'm saying. Yeah, I don't I don't know. I haven't looked at home run numbers closely for this spring, if they're up or if they're down or if they're similar to last year. I mean, Arizona is basically Colorado light, so like they it's not as high in terms of elevation, but it's still pretty dry and so the the ball carries, right? Oh yeah, absolutely. Arizona is definitely a, a hitter's climate. But yeah, I haven't really taken a look at, you know, where home run numbers were this year versus last year and if there's anything predictable in there. Probably not. I think we probably need a bigger sample than than the spring, but you know, I would I would certainly hope that the home run numbers normalize a little bit and the baseball comes back a little bit. Yeah. So, yeah, uh, I guess the next time we talk will be sometime within the actual regular season, which is very exciting. It's uh, I realized that I actually get to be at home when the Cubs are on TV at the home opener. So that should be fun. And, uh, yeah, we'll talk more Cubs later on. Uh, hopefully by then you'll have found yourself a house uh, that you like. And uh, you know, do you have pets? Like some, um, something something for the a, dog in the yard. We have a cat. Oh well the cats Ooh. don't really like yards, huh? You know, I could I could live without him coming but but my other half is a little bit attached to him, so I guess I guess he's gotta come along. Mhm. Yeah. They're usually pretty self sufficient, so maybe the 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 kitty will stay out of your way. Especially now that you have like you know man cave space and whatnot. That that is something I've been looking for. I've got a lot of World Series champion memorabilia to hang and wall space for. It's been been in the corner of my eye in pretty much every house we walk through. <laughs> well, good luck with that, sir. Uh, you can find Andy at Twitter. Yep, at behind underscore the underscore Ivy. Yep, the official World Series streaming Twitter is WS Dreaming underscore Cubs. 
whatever we post to Facebook usually posts there as well. And uh, Anno himself is fairly interactive if you tweet us. I am at Cubic Snarconia. You can find our website at worldseriesdreaming.com and email us at worldseriesdreaming at gmail.com. Uh, we'd love it if you rate and share this podcast. Uh, rate us on iTunes so we can finally generate some data and they'll give us some stars. I think that's allegedly how the algorithm works, but Apple does weird stuff, so who who the hell knows, right? Uh, yeah, definitely share us. Uh, we'd like to thank Richiana for the music and R- Randall J. Sanders for helping us with the final out call by Pat Hughes, just in case you ever forgot that the Cubs won the 2016 World Series. I'll never forget that. That was probably one of the happiest days of my life, right yep. behind my wedding day and the day I got divorced. <laughs> yeah. Well, good luck with the house, Hunter, and uh, we'll talk to you all next time. Thank you again. Go Cubs.